Are you thinking about getting into Dungeons & Dragons? Maybe you're looking to expand your horizons as a DM or a player. If that's the case, then it's time for you to check out The Dungeon Cast, the best D&D podcast out there that helps you passively learn all about the game just by listening. Join co-hosts Will and Brian as they break down the lore of a rich multiverse 50 years in the making in a lighthearted and beginner-friendly way. They cover everything from character creation options to tips for dungeon masters. There's something for everyone, no matter how long you've been playing TTRPGs. Find The Dungeon Cast anywhere you get podcasts or on YouTube. You know, subconsciously performing hyperfemininity, joined a sorority, um, and then I started dating the president of my sorority. Yeah. Kind of, oh, wow. Oh, my God. The dream. <laughs> That'll be my third part episode. Am I right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'd watch that movie. I'm diking out. You're diking out. Let's dike out together. See what it's all about. Diking out. Diking out. Diking out. Hi, and welcome to Diking Out, a podcast that likes Kamala Harris, Bette Porter jokes, but loves Corrine Jean-Pierre, Harris's real-life black lesbian chief of staff. I'm yes. Carolyn Bergier. And I'm Melody Kamali. And today we are diking out with activist and video producer and host Maria Tritis about being intersex. But first, some announcements. The lineup is out, and oh man, are the RSVPs just rolling in at a record pace, and what is going to be the biggest virtual lesbian bar hang ever. Ever. Just to remind everyone, we are partnering with The Lesbian Bar Project to put on an event as part of their month-long fundraiser. The event's going to be Monday, November 23rd at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. We're going to be streaming it on YouTube Live and Facebook Live. It's going to be free, but we do ask that you RSVP so that we can send you uh, the right links in case anything changes and just to make it easy to communicate with you. So sign up on Eventbrite if you go to our Instagram at Diking Out. You can see the link is in our bio. This lineup is insane. We've got Cameron Esposito, Sydney Washington, Emma Willman, Allie Clayton. So we're going to get comedy from all of them, all past guests of the podcast that you know and love. We're going to have a conversation with Leo Shang from the L Word Generation Q. We're going to spotlight some of the bar owners of the remaining 15 bars in this country, lesbian bars. Uh, We're going to have a (laughs) musical performance by Mary Lambert. And we're also going to have appearances from Leah Delaria and podcast favorite Rita Brent. How's that? Unreal. It's crazy. I'm so excited about this. And, uh, you know, if I haven't mentioned it already, there are only 15 lesbian bars remaining in the country. And I do want to give them a quick shout out. A League of Her Own in Washington, D.C., Blush and Blue in Denver, Colorado, Cubbyhole in New York, Henrietta Hudson in New York, Hers in Mobile, Alabama, Gingers in Brooklyn, New York, Gossip Grill in San Diego, Lipstick Lounge in Nashville, Tennessee, My Sister's Room in Atlanta, very near and dear to my heart, that one, Pearl Bar in Houston, Texas, Slammers in Columbus, Ohio, which I really want to go to. I want to go to all of these, but a place called like Slammers Slammers. in Columbus, Ohio feels like the dikiest place to be. But this next one, also, uh, this name has a special place in my heart. (laughs) Sue Ellen's. That's a gay Susan bar in Dallas, Texas. (laughs) Yeah. 
uh, toasted walnut, ooh la la, uh, in Philadelphia, and Walker's Pint in Milwaukee, and Wild Rose in Seattle. I can't believe that when I went to Seattle, I didn't go to Wild Rose. I can't believe I never made it to Walker's Pint in Milwaukee the amount of times I went there while living in Chicago. Wow. I've never been to Milwaukee. Uh, I also missed out on going to Gossip Grill in San Diego, but I have friends there and I know it is an awesome space. All these places are awesome. Uh, I know that we have made jokes on the podcast about some of the New York establishments before, but I have so much love for them and I want them to thrive and survive. And uh, I hope everybody can join us for this event Monday, November 23rd, RSVP. It's going to be a crazy night. It's going to be epic. And another reminder to check us out on Jemmy. Jemmy is a way for us to interact with our listeners in one-off situations. So it's for people who, you know, I guess you could if you're already a, a patron on Patreon. There are things that aren't on Patreon that you can get on Jemmy. Or if you can't support us on a monthly basis on Patreon, but you want uh, something special for yourself you can book a one-on-one with either of us or one with the both of us yeah isn't that crazy if you've always wanted to dike out with us this is your chance on jemmy or we could record a cameo style video for you or a loved one or your parents to explain to them what your sexuality or identity is we We can can do do that that for you yeah price So many cool options. And of course, there's always our Patreon where you can get ad-free episodes. You can get extra content. Sometimes we record extra questions with our guests that are up there. Sometimes we have episodes that are just Melody and I chatting about things. Sometimes we're downloading about a recording we just had. So (laughs) get all of that content. Uh, And also at the $10 month level, you could join our super awesome Facebook group that's for patrons only. And it's the only time I'm active on Facebook. Hard same. It is the only reason I sign up and I'm still trying to figure out a way for my Facebook app to only alert me when there's action on there. (laughs) Otherwise have all notifications for that website off. (laughs) Yeah, I got a message from my cousin in Montreal and she was like, just checking in. You haven't posted in a while on Facebook. I'm like, I'm so active on Facebook, but only in the patrons only group. (laughs) Yeah. And I love it. What a great little community we have there. Finally, just if you haven't already, please, please, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us, uh, especially reviews like this one. This listener wrote, I feel both entertained and seen. This is my favorite queer podcast. I was feeling starved of good queer woman-centered content, and we all know it's a desert out there. And found Diking Out, I have to admit, has grown on me with each listen. Now when I see a new episode in my feed, I look forward to breaking up the monotony of my workday by spending some time with Carolyn and Melody. Thanks, y'all. You are so welcome. You're welcome. That review sounds like a plant. That's like, I know. It feels like I instructed someone to leave that review. That's how wonderful <laughs> it's it so is. It's so perfect. It feels like we paid U.S. dollars for that. Yeah. <laughs> but we didn't. That's a real listener review. And, you know, if you're not one for words, you can just go and hit five stars. Just crush that five star. 
Well, I think that is it for announcements. Melody, I have to ask you, what was it like to be in the part of the country that thinks Trump won the election? Oh, my God. Let me tell you, when my dad picked me up from the airport, we kept our masks on in the car with the windows down. When we pulled into Sun City, the (laughs) retirement community my parents live in, uh, we were getting a lot of glares. And my dad goes, oh, yeah. A mask is a vote for Biden. Um, like, <laughs> like people were furious um, because I thought it was so funny that we were getting a lot of looks on the drive-in that I decided to put my face shield back on, and that really got some yes. <laughs> furious looks. Um, Melody, was, don't be scared just because we're almost at 200,000 new cases per day. All right. Per day. Stop being such a such a wuss seriously it was scary but they live very close to savannah georgia every time i went into savannah it was the complete opposite you know scads there it's a lot of students artsy college kids yeah hip to it and a lot of artsy masks but yeah a lot more mask wearing in savannah the reason i got a lot of looks was because of my mask but it also was all of the shirts i packed down with me it was like my first day it was in (laughs) huge block letters woman up Um, then we got, you're a nasty woman. I was like, let's bring all of them. (laughs) So yes, the mask and the, the language on the Well, somebody has to be there to counter the father's nature truck. (laughs) You saw that? I posted this on my Instagram stories. Of course, the landscaping vendor that the community uses in the community where we have streets like Robert E. Lee Way. Um, yeah. Father nature landscaping. (laughs) So... My sister is now living with them in the retirement community and says, as COVID goes on, more and more millennials are popping up in there. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I bet. (laughs) I bet. Oh, man. My dad used to live in one of those communities in Florida for a few years, and I effing loved it. (laughs) Oh, my God. I love it. It's it's like camp. Um, there's yeah, pools so nice. everywhere, walking um, trails. It's just like very uh, clean, and they have a, a swim team they're trying to recruit my dad on right now. I love it. <laughs> like one of the older women yes. was like, "Hey, hot stuff, you want?" <laughs> my parents are convinced there's a huge swingers community within the community. <laughs> Oh, it I'm seems like a blast. I know nothing about them, but that may, yeah. that adds up. Yeah. <laughs> you got to pass the time somehow. I love it. It's not all. So it's interesting. So I didn't see the South South. Like um, whenever we'd leave the community, I'd get an idea. Yeah. People are upset. But like in the actual community they live in, it's a lot of people retired from New York, New Jersey, Chicago. And I know this because right. everyone keeps their original license plate from the state in which they retired from and what do they do they (laughs) slap it on their golf cart so everyone knows where everyone's from because everyone has Uh, a golf cart (laughs) i love it to around in it's so cute (laughs) now glad to have you back here you know yeah just a, a lot of Watching the news, uh, some gay news. I've been looking at the website 538 a lot, even though I still hold a grudge against them over 2016. Uh, But they have this cool feature about how Sue Bird and Megan Rapinoe 
have gotten better at their respective sports since they've been together. So I thought that kind of tied in nicely to our rec league conversation that it's good for athletes to date each other for the sport. Yes. That uh, women athletes should be scissoring uh, off the court, off the field. For better performance on the field, it's now scientifically proven. We have this well-researched case of two dykes uh, just blazing the trail for everybody else. We have the data. I mean, they have on this article, like, the stats. On her, yeah. Like, goals per 90 minute, her sis all improving since she started dating Sue Bird. So do it. For the game, not just the culture. Those are my favorite kind of statistics. The only math I'm good at. (laughs) I remember I said that on my first... Diking out. (laughs) You said that about squirting, Melody. I know. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Uh, And then everybody was talking online about the trailer... For Happiest Season, that's Clea Duvall's movie that she directed and co-wrote. Lots of talk about it. What we're going to say is limited right now because A, we haven't seen it. B, we're still holding out hopes that Clea is going to do the podcast and can right. make time to dike out with us. But I will say uh, a lot of people were surprised, at least a lot of queer people were surprised, that the storyline is what it is. Like... Most people were like, wow, I wasn't expecting this first uh, studio produced. So that's what makes us different than this is, yeah. other queer holiday stories that exist, which there are a couple. Um, but this is the first like major studio backed queer rom-com featuring an out A-lister, Kristen Stewart. And uh, it's about having to like pretend you're in the closet in front of your girlfriend's family at the holidays because she's not out yet. And we're all like, what? It's kind of like, yeah, we have to start over now that we're getting studio backed films. Right. Right. I was like, (laughs) what, what year is this? But then I wondered, you know, this is Clea Duvall behind this. This isn't just some, straight people in a room making decisions. So there has to be a reason behind why this story and maybe this is her story. And the more I read about it, the more that seems to be the case because, you know, for a lot of Hollywood actors and probably Kristen Stewart's story, um, but maybe less so about family and more about millions of Americans who are hungry for Hollywood gossip and... (laughs) Things like of that nature. So, yeah, Clea and K-Stu both spent some time being quiet about their sexuality. And that probably caused tension in their relationship. So this is a story that rings true for them. And rings true for a lot of people in the queer community at, at some point. It's just like it's... 2020, uh, I was really hoping that the plot would have to do with if she goes there and she's in the closet, maybe it's like the mom falls in love with her. And then there's like a hot mom storyline, you know, <laughs> that's just me. Probably. You just think about Mary. I am. There's something about Mary. Yes, there is something about Mary Steenburgen. And I think it's about time that she plays a, uh, a queer woman with a with the hots for her daughter's lover. She's a babe. <laughs> Is that too much to ask for, Clea Duvall? <laughs> 
We'll bring it up in our inevitable interview. So <laughs> please do the podcast. <laughs> We're big fans. We really are. I can't wait to watch it, though. And that comes out uh, after our our big show. So that'll be nice, you know, once the show is behind us to wind down and turn on some Hulu for some happiest season. Way to bring it back. Absolutely. Speaking of gay happenings, Melody, what's the gayest thing you did this week? Well, Carolyn, few things, few things while I was down south. I went to Savannah, like I said, my sister just started managing a bike shop. Pretty gay of her um, (laughs) in Savannah. And I gave her a stack of diking out cards because you know there's going to be lesbians. Oh, yeah. Going into a bike shop in Savannah by the school. So, guys, check out Savannah on Wheels. <laughs> Get some <laughs> business cards. Bike shop? Do you mean dike shop? Hey! Oh. No, I really, like, gave her the stack of cards, and I was like, here's some things to look out for. <laughs> like, I told her how to profile a lesbian <laughs> and approach a lesbian in a non-accusatory in a somehow natural way. I'm glad that she has a lesbian watch list uh, and is sexually profiling. Yeah. And also, if you're already a listener of the podcast and you want exclusive free merch, go and pick up a a Diking Out business card. It's got a very moody picture of us on there. What else? CNN is on always at my parents' house. So we were watching Don Lemon And my mom gave me everything I need to know about his husband. We did a deep dive on their relationship. That felt really gay. (laughs) (laughs) And then we were watching the CMAs one night. Don't know why. (laughs) I'm telling you. Because you missed Allie. That's why. Because I missed my girlfriend so much. We were watching the CMAs and Miley Cyrus came up in conversation and I got to explain pansexuality to my mom and then thus come out to her as pan. (laughs) It was a real productive conversation. (laughs) Last gay thing with my mom. Um, I was doing a deep dive on the poet Rumi. My parents love Rumi and Hafez and all these Sufi Persian poets. uh, A lot of that paraphernalia around the house. (laughs) And I was researching him and there's a lot of rumors, (laughs) rumors about this ancient poet um that he's gay and was in love with this other poet shams Ooh, hot goss yeah right i asked my mom i was like do you think rumi was gay and she just like rolled her eyes at me and was like of course melody all poets are gay (laughs) (laughs) which i loved i also uh took a walk with my mom on the beach and did let her know you have a crush on her so sorry (laughs) oh no she says she's very flattered (laughs) And then I was like, because this is how it came up. I was taking pictures of her and she's like, did you think he got enough? And I was like, these are for Carolyn. (laughs) That's so embarrassing. Melody. I'm sorry. (laughs) She asked me why, Carolyn. I know what she looks like. This was for you. I even went on our album and got like vacation pictures of her in a bikini for you. Is that weird? (laughs) (laughs) So look forward to those in the G chat. I love it. Well, thank you, Melody. You're welcome, Carolyn. Thanks for looking out for me. That's very gay. Uh, 
What about you, Carolyn? What's the gayest thing you did this week? I thought it was going to be that, uh, you know, I mentioned before that past intern of the podcast, Karina, she's still in college working on her thesis and it's a thesis I wish I could have worked on when I was in college, all about uh, lesbian representation on TV. And she was studying lesbian kiss episodes and posted this interesting um, grid about the lesbian kiss episode. So that's kind of like the uh, sweeps episode that gets thrown in where it's a character that's only in it for the one episode. And then there's a kiss and it's just... It sucks. Uh, you know, it's not, it's for ratings. It's for mm-hmm. dudes to get excited. It's for moms to get angry. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's never really for queer women. So I was scanning the examples of these and there were some that I hadn't uh, seen before. So I was just watching, trying, like spend an hour on YouTube, just finding these clips of uh, same-sex kisses uh, between women <laughs> were there a lot of montages set to like Enya-esque music because I feel like once... I wish I wish they were all in just one video that would have saved me a lot of time but the the two in uh well the one that I got to rewatch because I totally forgot about it until um Emily Danforth mentioned it on our episode and that was Party of Five where Nev Campbell's character kisses her professor and uh i after like a lot of crawling the internet i was able to find that clip so that was good to watch i mean i think the amount of time i put into trying to find nev campbell's kiss from party of five uh was pretty gay (laughs) yeah then the most offensive one that i came across was from Sex and the City, a show oh. that I never liked, and I know a lot of queer people like it, but when I saw on the spreadsheet that there was a kiss between uh, Alanis Morissette and Wait. Sarah Jessica Parker, I'm like, I have to... Yeah, no, we're not talking about Samantha here. I talking- just assumed it was the no, Samantha no. lesbian episode. No, because Samantha had like, like an so actual bisexual yeah. storyline. Yeah, and that wasn't that bad. Yeah, I heard that that wasn't bad. I didn't see any of that. But there's a spin the an adult spin the bottle game, uh, as adults do, uh, and <laughs> adult New Yorkers. <laughs> in the and Alanis do. Morissette is in this circle, and like Carrie Bradshaw does not like the idea that she's gonna. She's like, oh, oops, it landed on a girl. I got to go again. And then Alanis is all like, I don't mind, uh, which is <laughs> why all don't of our I dream. remember this? Right? Well, you can look it up. It's on YouTube. (laughs) And then Sarah Jessica Parker reluctantly kisses her and then afterwards says, it wasn't bad. Kind of like chicken. Okay. I do remember this because I remember that line and I hate it. Right. That that is like the most awful. (laughs) Who kisses Alanis Morissette and compares it a fucking chicken. All right. I'll tell you who. A fucking chicken. <laughs> <laughs> she a chicken. <laughs> um, yeah, Carrie's the worst character. That's why I, I, I can never get, I can never get into the, the show. I'm like this this show is just uh sorry. I know yeah. a lot of people like it. I know a lot of queer women like it and I just I can't. I can't with Carrie Bridge. <laughs> 
I used to really like it. Um, my roommate had the whole box set in college, so I thought everybody's I'd seen roommate every had the box yeah, set in right? college, <laughs> except for mine, and that's um, why we were roommates. <laughs> Kim Cattrall though carries the show for me. Yeah, so I thought that you know my journey into YouTube, a uh, lesbian. TV kisses for research, you know, just in <laughs> solidarity with Karina, just uh, typing away at that thesis. But the gayest thing that I truly did was uh, when I first watched Bly Manor, I watched it mostly by myself and I really wanted Cecilia to watch it. So we had been re-watching it and this week we finally got to the final episode and the gayest thing I did was hold my wife in my arms as she sobbed uncontrollably oh. at the conclusion of yeah. Bly Manor. Oh, man, I sobbed uncontrollably. Like, I really did. Allie fell asleep during the second to last episode and just went to bed somewhere in the beginning of the finale, and I kept watching it. So The I second to last to episode is not a good one. That was the only one that Cecilia was like, right. they could have really trim this down yeah, yeah, this is yeah. a really long backstory so i don't blame and her cecilia was like why'd they have to make it so sad and was just <laughs> crying and then she was like do you want to just sit here and cry longer i'm like not really like i think we should get to bed it's like one in the morning <laughs> yeah that's how moving it is cecilia and i are both on ssris and <laughs> sobbed <laughs> uncontrollably yeah. after that yeah <laughs> I haven't seen her cry like that at a TV show in a while. And let me tell you, second watch, uh, almost better than the first because, one, uh, I was able to pay attention a lot more because I wasn't at my mom's house. And also just catching, like, knowing the logic of how everything works uh, in the in the story a lot of things make a lot more sense. You know, on the first watch, you're like, I don't know if I'm following this. Yeah, I spent a lot of time confused. Right. Yes. And, like, distracted because I was like, I think I missed something. I had to have missed something. Right, right. And the second time, you're like, oh, I know exactly what's happening, and this is actually really good now that I know the logic of okay, it. Okay, I might have to rewatch it. I didn't know you had rewatched it, but I did see every time I logged onto Facebook that the thread in our patron group was still popping off and I was like wow Carolyn's obsessed she is still talking about this so it makes sense that you rewatched it I really thought you just still couldn't stop talking about it from weeks no. after your first watch <laughs> no yeah because one of our patrons was questioning some of the logic throughout and asking questions I'm like you know I really will have to watch it again so upon second watch I was keeping those things in mind I'm like oh yeah I think your partner is right about this thing this thing still doesn't add up whatever <laughs> but uh that's for sure the gayest thing I did this week yeah that's why it's always at the top of my feed <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> I think that's enough Bly Manor talk, and we should really get to our topic today, which I'm excited about. How about you, Melody? I'm so amped. I really enjoyed this conversation. I learned so much. This person is so cool. Yes, and I hope, hope that we can hang out in person sometime in 2021. Mm -hmm. All right. So today we are diking out with video producer, host, and intersex activist Maria Treatis. Maria's work has been featured all over, including on Them, 
Huffington Post, Teen Vogue, and more. Uh, We saw some of her videos and couldn't wait to get her on the pod. And we hope that you'll enjoy this conversation as much as we did. Let's get into it. Maria, thank you so much for diking out with us today. We're so excited to have you here. Of course. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to dike out with both of you. As are we. So you are Brooklyn-based, correct? Yes. I live um, in Bushwick, and I've lived here for about, I'm coming up on seven years, I think, in New York. Have you been in Brooklyn during the whole pandemic? I have. I've pretty much been here the whole time, you know, except for a couple little weekend trips upstate or like day trips, yeah. I um, have definitely been dipping into like the cottage core lesbian, which is something I've learned about <laughs> this this summer. Um, and like, yes. and we've, we've all become familiar. <laughs> yes. And um, also just like, I mean, I've always been kind of granola. So I just like, I feel better when I'm in nature. And so tried to get upstate as much as I could during all this craziness. But yeah, mostly holding it down in Brooklyn. And it hasn't been so bad. Well, that's good to hear that the pandemic hasn't been too bad for you. We're going to ask you a question that we ask all of our guests, and that is, what is the gayest thing you did this week? Oh, man, the gayest thing I did this week. Shit. Let me think. I mean, I just feel like my existence in general is just like so gay. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I have been laying low a little bit because I I actually got a breast reduction because I had like bigger boobs and they just were not quite fitting me. So I got my like the androgynous like small femme tits of my dreams. I'm so jealous. Um, I've always wanted a reduction. I have so many questions. I'll probably have to email you. (laughs) Yeah, we can follow up. Yeah. Uh, but it's honestly, if you can make it happen, fucking do it. I can I cuss? Um, yeah, I'm assuming that's yes. yes. Uh, I yeah, I um, I I totally recommend it. It's been, I mean, it, I'm like three weeks out, so um, I'm like kind of in the throes of um healing and whatnot. But right, yeah. Um, but I feel like that's like the gayest thing I did this month was get my, like, I'm calling them the androgynous femme tits of my dreams. They're not quite so, they're pretty femme actually, (laughs) but I'm calling them androgynous. (laughs) Um, yeah, but yeah. Also laying low is pretty dykey, pretty specifically (laughs) lesbian. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's all I do is like, especially I'm telling you, I became a cottagecore lesbian and like I have a back deck. And so I made a garden throughout quarantine. And so like I really have been like laying low. So okay. gardening. Yeah. yeah, gardening. Yeah. What kind of stuff are you growing? Give us the details. Um, Mostly flowering plants this year. Um, My prize, nice. I have like prize, I call them my prize winning aloe plants. Um, <laughs> They're just like mm. gigantic. And then I have some like a really nice jasmine. Um, hydrangeas. I had like 32 different types of flowers on my back porch, which sounds like a lot, but it's not that hard to actually get that many different varietals. Yeah. It's just hard so. to get a deck in Brooklyn. <laughs> it is hard yeah, to get a deck. That's the harder yeah. part. <laughs> um, it's the biggest, we call it the biggest room in our apartment because it's, it's, it's a good size. And like my apartment is just like a shoe box. Well, that paid off uh, an, for this year because I yes, feel like it really did. most years, most people wouldn't use their outdoor space as much. But it, yeah. I feel like with not being able to go anywhere else, it feels like uh, like a second home to have outdoor space. Yeah, I fully live in Prospect Park now. Yeah, I would too. Um, I just thought I just thought of another gay thing I did this week is um, <laughs> last night. Give it to last us. night for dinner. 
it, it's very it's it's a small thing. Last night for dinner, I had um, my sister is dating an Irish guy, and she made fish pie, and what? which is like an Irish thing. And so I just I like could not stop laughing <laughs> at the fact that like we were eating fish pie and then the joke my sister's straighter than an arrow and like the joke about fish pie just lasted all night so and then finally explained it to her so I feel like like explaining to my sister what fish pie is is probably yeah. actually the gayest thing <laughs> that is a good number of gay things you have going on I'm glad to hear that the surgery went well and uh, as somebody who has had small boobs uh, her entire life I'm going to say they're they're pretty easy to deal with. It's pretty nice. Brag. I'm looking forward to that. Like, just like I've nearly smothered myself like doing yoga. So I'm excited <laughs> yeah. to, once I get, once I'm like fully healed, I'm excited to take them for a, a test downward dog. Um, it's so yeah, those yeah. downward dogs. You shouldn't have to choke <laughs> on flesh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I was doing it like a shoulder stand, and I I panicked because my it flopped and it just caught me in the face, and yeah, <laughs> it was it was a lot. God. It was a lot. But I am worried about how it's going to affect my like, um, you know, just like being out. Like I don't know. I'm like, did I have power in those big boobs? You know, like, am I gonna in <laughs> in gay spaces? Am I going to be looked at differently? Probably not. Maybe more people. Pe- more people will probably look at them because they're a little more in your face now. But that's probably enough about my boobs, right? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like we haven't even done an episode on on boobs yet per se. So uh, the, this boob talk feels fresh. But yes, we we <laughs> well that can be. I can be a two parter. Yeah, All right, for love time. it. Talk about this, and then um, we'll just have a maybe that could be like a live Q and A. Yes. To, yeah, we'll do that after I get mine. And maybe this could be a segue. But like, I I feel like being intersex has gotten me. Like, I'm really good at talking very openly about anything with my body, pretty much. Right. Um, right. Yeah, I'm like not afraid to like I've had to explain it so many times in my life that it's just like anything is kind of everything's on the table, you know? Well, I hope you're looking forward to explaining it again because we are here to talk about (laughs) being intersex. And I am so excited that we have you here for this topic. One, because uh, you do such great work in terms of your advocacy for intersex people. And um, I've, you know, watched your videos and you just break it down like so easily. And um, it's just like so informative for a topic that I feel like doesn't get uh, much attention even though it's probably getting more attention now than it ever has it's still compared to like all the other things we talk about especially in the queer community uh just not getting enough do you feel that way totally I mean it's you know well first of all we are a small percentage of the population we're about 1.7 percent of the population which is um you know the same amount as naturally born redheads so I you know, that is kind of a lot. It um, is a lot. I think it's bigger than a lot of people think. I mean, I'm a I'm a natural redhead, so that <laughs> Oh my gosh. See? Yeah. See? Yeah. So uh, it's it's um you've probably met everyone's probably met an intersex per- I mean, I'm 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 positive everyone's met an intersex person whether they knew it or not, whether that intersex person knew it or not. Yeah. Um, you know, I feel like we've all everyone's probably met someone with a biological sex variation. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
I guess we can start by quickly defining intersex uh, just for any of our listeners who are unfamiliar with the term because right. it's something that doesn't get talked about. It is it is it yeah. is an umbrella term, right? It can mean mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah, so intersex is the umbrella term for individuals born with sex characteristics that don't typically fit the script for what society deems normal uh, for male and female. I mean, and you know, I'm we're only audio right now, but when I say normal, I put that in quotes every time. I never say normal without using air quotes now because like, what is normal? Yeah. Right. But basically that means that my secondary sex characteristics expressed themselves differently when I was born um, and continue to as an adult, you know. Um, but yeah, basically being intersex is your your sexual characteristics, your sex characteristics don't line up or don't fit the script of what is typical for male or female. So um, that can be anything from um, ambiguous genitalia to difference in in chromosomes to hormone production, hormone response. Um, You know, it's, it's a whole variety of things. Right. But yes, under the umbrella of intersex. So my specific variation of intersex is I am, I have partial androgen insensitivity syndrome. And I have, so that means I have XY chromosomes and I physically formed, uh, in many ways, typically female. He had big boobs. <laughs> I had big boobs. I started, um, it's, it's, it's sort of hard to talk, you know, as I talk about it, you know, I'll hit a lot of things and I feel like we kind of, I can tell you, it, it, I can give you the overview and then we sort of have to unpack it. You know what I mean? Right. right. I say, I started hormone replacement therapy at 12, but I didn't know I was intersex till I was 18. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah. So I I read your your story and that was just such a interesting thing to to read about. And I would love to you to share more of that journey of, yeah, not being really told exactly what was happening. Sure. And, and, you know, that's kind of the story that a lot of I mean, most intersex people kind of share the experience of not knowing. Yeah, being kept um, in the dark. It's crazy. Yeah, being kept in the dark. Um, and so, you know, growing up, my my dad, uh, my parents are both in the medical field. So they kind of, so when I was two years old, um, my dad was changing my diaper and, and he found a lump kind of in my lower abdomen area that was concerning to him. And so they took, my parents took me to the doctor, you know, kind of began the diagnosis of of finding out that I was intersex. What the lump that they found is, was what they called gonadal streaks, which are basically like sex cells that are, that were forming in the body, but didn't get the right hormones that they needed to fully develop. Um, so they were basically like underdeveloped internal testes mm-hmm. that, you know, in the past doctors said that if they weren't removed, that they could be t- become potentially cancerous um, because there's, you know, there was no research done on it. And so to normalize the body, doctors remove that. And if there's any, and then if, you know, if your body doesn't look on the outside, what a typical male or female looks like, you know, they kind of correct that. And so when I was eight, I had another surgery that sort of got everything looking right, got my genitals looking, you know, what is typical. And then hormone replacement therapy started around 12. And then my parents told me at 18, they broke it down because they needed to, I was told I needed to be prepared to have sex with men in college. Oh. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of interesting as wow. a lot of um, intersex care is like prep to fit you into like a normal female body to prepare you to have essentially to have sex with men wow. and to procreate. You can't pro they tell you you can't procreate obviously, but it's like per society, our bodies are built for men basically. Like play the part. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, and, and that's something else that, that the doctors told my parents early on, you know, like put her in a dress and she will grow up to be a girl, you know? Yeah. To just kind of like condition you to be like as feminine as possible. Yeah. And I think, and you know, I'm lucky my parents were, were supportive. I, I, well, two things I was lucky. I think, you know, I had female pronouns. I was perceived female. I've always been perceived female. And like that did kind of align with, you know, my, my identity and my parents were never too strict on like, you know, putting, keeping me in a dress or, um, things like that. And I was kind of like a typical tomboy in that way, but you know, my whole life, it's always, and I was raised Catholic. So, um, here, here. Yeah. It's so, you know, it's a lot of, uh, this is God made you this way. Um, you know, this is something you don't talk about. Um, you know, keep it, keep it to yourself. And so my whole life up until I was 23, 24, I pretty much kept it a secret. You know, I, I told a couple people here and there once I started dating, um, you know, it was kind of necessary to tell people I didn't really find out pretty much until I moved to New York and kind of began, began the journey then. Um, and then, you know, in my early twenties, I was focusing, it was easy to put it on the back burner in my early twenties and in college because I found out that I, I, I like dating women and, you know, came out as a lesbian and began that story. Right. Um, yeah. And so I think because I, I always felt different in being intersex, it kind of, um, it helped me, uh, avoid dating men um, <laughs> in high school. I was always like, oh yeah, I'm just going to like, I'm, I'm really mature. And so I need to like find a really mature guy in college. And so then I get to college and, and, you know, subconsciously performing hyper femininity joined a sorority. Um, and then I started dating the president of my sorority. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh my God. The dream. (laughs) That'll be my third part episode. Am I right? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I'd watch that movie. (laughs) Yeah, I'm. I I've thought about it. I've Where thought about is making that? it a movie. You have yes, to. because because yeah, it 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 kind of needs to be it, the whole the whole thing needs to be a movie. My God, um, but uh, yeah, and so I sort of discovered my sexuality that way um, in college. And did you find being Catholic too helped with like avoiding men? Because I know for me, I was like, no sex before marriage, easy peasy. Oh. One hundred percent. When I got when I got my license, I like I had a purity ring on the embarrass. Like that's a little yes. bit embarrassing from my past life to admit, but like I had a purity ring um, um, that I bought for myself. I love it. Um, I like my parents were like, "What is like what?" Like, we would have been best friends everything- in high school, Maria. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I bought myself a purity ring and wore that. Do you normally that was, not that was- get that for yourself? Sorry, I wasn't raised with religion, so purity ring is like an emo band to me. Um, or- <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. I, I, I cannot th- purity ring the band. I can't like think about them without being like this. I don't know. Feel, I feel weird about it, and then their music's all you know. I'm just like, oh, yeah. this is like a weird, <laughs> many weird feelings with this band. Yeah. So. Actually, I know I knew a lot of girls whose dads bought them purity rings, which is kind of gross. Even but, um, creepier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like, 
Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> True love waits is what the purity ring said. I was like, what did the ring say? True love waits. Yeah. Um, when you said that you got surgery when you were eight, what, I mean, as an eight-year-old, that just feels so young. Did you have any idea what was happening or like what was going on? Not, I mean, not really. It was like, you know, I had some complications urinating, which like it, some individuals have that problem. And so that was kind of the guise that I went into it. That was what I was told is that I was going to have some repositioning of my urethra. Mm. But like, I wasn't told that when I was a kid, because like, I don't know what that means. But it was like, it's going to help you make it's going to help you feel better. It's just and like, that was it. And you know, when you're that young, you kind of just go along with whatever your parents are saying that, you know, is right. As we go into all this, like I, I, my parents are very supportive and we've had tons of talks about what we would do differently now. And like, you know, they're fully on, like we've, I've had all these talks with them and there's a little bit of guilt and whatnot. And, but that's just how it was. And I, I mentioned earlier that my parents are, are medical professionals, but it's still, you know, even they made these decisions, you know, um, because it was what science said was best. Right. It's what society says is correct. So it's just, it's really complicated. And then it goes back to the silencing thing. Like one of the main things about being intersex is like to be silenced about it. And so, yeah, it's interesting not being silent about it and working through all that, but yeah. Um, so as an eight year old, I was excited to watch Johnny Tsunami in the hospital oh staying overnight yeah. and <laughs> and eating like all the free popsicles I wanted at any time, like just by pushing a button. Right. So that's, like, you know, I think it's, <laughs> it was fun when I was eight. It's incredibly traumatizing as a 30 year old. Um, right. Right. <laughs> but, you know, we work through it <laughs> as I laugh. Yeah. I mean, it was confusing. It was really confusing and like, telling I like told a couple people about it and it's it just it's weird it's 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 sort of like one of it was one of the bigger things that like began my like truly feeling like I was different and not being able to explain it you know everybody feels like they're different right like, you know yeah it was just like a feeling different but not being able to explain it and not having like media to even look to no media no and, and you know no one else and like being told to actively suppress it and like not talk about it or you know but it's confusing and you know especially as you hit puberty and people are getting their period and like you know what kind of what brand of tampon you use is like an like a weird co topic of conversation that you like feel that you, you don't think about as like a person who menstruates, but if you, you know, you are perceived to be someone who's supposed to be menstruating and you're not, right. you're like, what the hell is wrong with me? And so I'd like carry tampons in my backpack and like, mm. you know, it's like, it's weird. It's a weird, it's an interesting way to grow, to grow up kind of. Yeah, yeah for sure. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch. And organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. 
Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Are you thinking about getting into Dungeons and Dragons? Maybe you're looking to expand your horizons as a DM or a player. If that's the case, then it's time for you to check out the Dungeon Cast, the best D&D podcast out there that helps you passively learn all about the game just by listening. Find the Dungeon Cast anywhere you get podcasts or on YouTube. Before you knew that you were intersex, did you know anything about like intersex as a, as a concept or, or as a thing? Was it something no. that they taught in school? For you? No, I, I never, I had never heard of, and like I went to Catholic school. Um, oh, well, they're definitely through, not through eighth grade at least. <laughs> um, my like sex education was like learning to tuck my skirt under my like thighs and then like sit with my ankles crossed, you know, right, right. And learning about differences in like sexual development was not a thing. Yeah. Um, any very like there was no mention of any type of variation except like one man, one woman, they marry, they have kids, that's it. Didn't know life was so complicated and fun. Uh, <laughs> but I remember learning about it in my biology class and they, but they use the term hermaphrodite, which I believe is not a term that same. That's like an old. So yeah. So that is, that's, um, glad you brought that up because you might be here, like, I guess, you know, not you, but like the queer people in the queer community might be hearing that word more and more now. Really? Um, but it is definitely like, it's definitely considered a, a slur, but people have sort of like reclaimed like a lot of activists are trying to reclaim. It. Oh, okay. interesting. Um, and yeah, yeah. And I guess I did hear about intersex people, but it was always in a negative way. Yes. Hearing the term hermaphrodite. You know what I mean? It's like, that's what I was going to say. It's like, I remember we learned about it and then it felt like kind of this, this joke. And then people started calling each other a hermaphrodite as like a way to make fun of somebody who was maybe like not, you know, any guy that wasn't super masculine. It was like, Oh, Greg's probably a hermaphrodite and, and stuff like that. And then, uh, it became like the, this joke. And looking back on it, I'm like, how horrifying. Like, there could have been someone in class or there probably was somebody like in my school, definitely, who was intersex. Maybe they didn't know it at the time, though. But like to there's just such a lack of education, especially like for for kids. And I feel like that'd be so important for people to just understand that, like, hey, biology like sex is actually a spectrum and it's not one thing or the other and that's okay and it's all normal and it's just as normal as having red hair you know totally and like someone another inter- intersex activist um broke it down in a way one time that like really just like kind of clicked it's like nobody has the same nose 
Nobody has the same mouth. Nobody has the same ears. Like all noses are different sizes. You know what I mean? Right. Um, all genitalia looks different. If you lined up a, like your all the sexual partners you've ever had, like you could probably be like, you know, that's so-and-so's pussy. That, you know what yeah. I mean? It's like right. you could line it up and know because there's everybody's different. It's all on a scale. So it's like – why, you know, how, it's, it's interesting and kind of, it's, it seems it's like something I grapple with because I'm just like, how can you not see that? Like everything's on a spectrum. And if right. you just like, you know, it's like, of course there are going to be like people who produce more or less hormones or have, you know, this body part or not this body part. It's just like, it's, in, you know, we put so much weight on like having the right sex organs for men that, you know, we like get lost to the sauce a little bit, but yeah, I mean, the, the only the only examples I ever had, I mean, and still a lot of examples are negative. But yeah, there's one instance actually, and I know a lot of people kind of think about this. It, it just this just popped into my head. There was an episode of House, um, where they had someone who like got sick on the show, and they found out she had internal testes, and like basically, this guy. And his, and his wife came in, his wife had internal testes, she was intersex, and it was like this whole thing, he left her, you know, it was like a big scandal. Ugh. And like, that was weird, because I didn't have the language or know, but I like knew that that was, that I was that girl, mm. you know? And so I like, that was just another thing that kind of like, puts you a little deeper in that like, whole feeling like you're alone, kind of. For sure. Yeah. I mean, in terms of media representation, I remember the first time. Uh, so I was watching clips on YouTube of the show Faking It just for the gay stuff. Uh, okay, and then that show is great. Like, well, first of all, I watched it because of the intersex storyline, but the gay storyline is great. The lesbian storyline is amazing in that. Yeah. I, I loved it. And I didn't yeah. know that there was going to be a, an intersex storyline when I was watching it. I was just like, oh, a show with gay stuff. Let me like watch it just for that, that subplot. But then, um, but then when I was watching it and the, what is it? A, a stepsister, uh, who, she's the stepsister who comes out as the blonde chick. Yeah. Yeah. She's intersex. like, yeah. And, like, and she's conservative. Okay, I don't, and I think she is a sister, but she's, yeah. she's, um, she, they are stepsisters and she's like the cool, popular cheerleader chick and she's intersex. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, the way that that was handled, but handled like it, it seemed, I mean, I don't know like what. So that one was, that show was done, um, the MTV producers worked with Interact, which is like is a is a great organization, intersex organization that advocates for the the legal rights of of intersex infants. Well, good um, on MTV for that. Would, would that yeah, be so hard it, for everyone else to do? Jesus Christ! <laughs> it was like I mean, MTV has kind of always held it down with like queer representation, and for the most part, yeah. for the most part. I think they lately. have too many. I've I, what I've realized is like they have too many male editors. Like I know men are editing their work because of like they're just the way that they're creating these storylines. But anyway, that's <laughs> yeah. another that's another episode. Um, yeah. So, uh, but the uh, media representation overall has not been honestly. That's been one of the better, really? one of the better um, like scripted things at least because a lot of things, a lot of things are kind of like trauma porn and it's like you like know law and so order you, you were yeah law and order oh, um or like and then you know chicks with dicks is like a big thing that people like make fun of a lot yeah i wanted to ask you if anyone had gotten it right but 
I don't feel like maybe no, not yet. Any show um, or any I mean, I think, I think faking it. I'm trying now. I like. I'm. I'm trying to think about any. I'm trying to think about if there's any like. I mean, faking it was pretty good, but I think yeah. There's not. There's not a lot. It's a lot of like there activists doing the work and like you know we've like luckily in the last couple of years we've had some more main like you know again I'm using like quotes like mainstream you know Hannah Gabby um the awesome model, model yeah came out Hannah Gabby has been like an amazing an amazing like beacon for the community and like really given us a lot of spotlight so that's been really good um but yeah it's pretty it's sparse. It's I mean, scarce out there. I Googled it and was looking at the Wikipedia page of um, intersex representations because I, I knew faking it. And I remember there was a an episode of Law and Order that that was more about like a circumcision gone bad and then raising an identical twin to be a different gender. But that was a whole thing. That was a that was an episode of Law and Order. Uh, yeah, Law and Order SVU. It, it's interesting that they that they do that. That is kind of like the um, beginning. Uh, that's sort of like intersex history, right? Like, yes, it's based right on there. that. Yeah, yeah, because John, Doctor John Money, who's kind of he is sort of the villain of the um, intersex community because he was the doctor that sort of wrote the rule book on like gender studies, right? And so he, you know, he said that gender is a lot of it's it's nurture that so it's you all can, nurture yeah yeah if you put a kid in a dress they'll be a girl and so you know there was the bo- just like the sounds like just like the episode there was a botched um circumcision they tried to raise the individual as female once they found out like you know it's just it speaks to like kind of the trauma and a lot of the like stories that in, intersex individuals face is that it's like you know you're lied to or things are covered up and then there's not a lot of resources or like, you know, like life in general, there's not a rule book on how to handle things, but it just feels like, you know, there's, there's especially not one for intersex people right. to sort of navigate the intricacies of trauma that right. they face. So, yeah. And the, the other example that was listed on Wikipedia was friends, but it wasn't actually anything like there was no intersex character because at first I was like, wait, I don't remember there being an intersex person on Friends. But it was about uh, an episode where uh, Brad Pitt was the guest star and they talked about how him and Ross started a rumor in high school that Rachel was a hermaphrodite. And it was mm. like this whole thing and she got so mad about it. And uh, like that there was a lot of backlash from the intersex community being like, what the f- fuck are you doing like why well, and that's, <laughs> that's the this? thing is it comes I've seen it we were I was watching something just the other day and it's like it, it a lot of times it is super small and in passing just like that it's like oh you know it's 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 that I mean it's it's not a storyline that anyone remembers but you're watching it and if you, you know you like people laugh at it and then the joke's gone but if you know if you're intersex and you're seeing that it's like right another another check to like Keep it private, you know? Yeah, it's like, what? why is your biology a a punchline? It's Yeah, and we're we're consistently told that, like, we were made incorrectly. Yeah. Um, You know, the narrative is that you're made incorrectly, so don't talk about it and, you know, do these things and you'll be fine. You'll, You'll fit into the box. You'll check the box, you know? 
So I know a lot of the advocacy right now in the intersex community or from what I've read is around trying to get um, parents and doctors to um, understand more about like the possible like dangers of performing surgeries on uh, intersex like babies and, and children and like how much progress has been made in that area in terms of educating and it's kind of like wh- where do you start because I, I know like you kind of mentioned it doctors are it's not like they're um, evil or anything like they're doing what they think as far as like their education is best but now you have um, yeah. a community of people saying like hey maybe it's not yeah so I mean I think um, I, I had a chat with some med students and they asked the same question and you know, it's like, oh, it starts with educating and like educating parents and whatnot. But it really, it's, it's all about the doctors. It's, it's yeah. at first, at least they're the first line of defense. You know, they need yeah. to be offering the right options. And, and what I've really found, um, and I think everybody can agree. It's like, it's just, it's hard to find a good doctor in general, you know? Yeah. And so, so finding a doctor where, you know, every time you go, you have to explain your identity and like explaining what being intersex is is kind of like it's not it's not super simple all the time especially if you're going to a doctor and they're like well when was the last time you menstruated and you're like I don't menstruate and then it's like I it's because I'm intersex and then they're like well what's intersex it's just like <laughs> then you're like okay so it's oh a lot of emotional gosh. labor um right, yeah they should pay you you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> should definitely be a free visit yeah, um, right <laughs> but you know and like for my, when I got my breast reduction, um, one of the tests, even though I told the doctor I was intersex, I had to get a pregnancy, pregnancy test. test. You yep. be, you Are you serious? You can't be pregnant when you, yeah, you can't be pregnant when you're going under anesthesia. And I got the, I, I was like, I'm going to just get the pregnancy test just so I don't have to, to deal with it. And you know, and like that. That's fine, but it's just like it's bullshit. It, it's annoying because it's they bullshit. they also like bill your yeah. uh, insurance like eighty yeah. bucks for it. I mean, my whole life I've been having to take pregnancy tests and like fighting them, and like yeah. they really bully you about it. I'm like, I have never yep. had sex with a man like unless I have yep. the second coming of Christ in me. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm definitely not pregnant. So please, yeah. just like yeah, pass the sex ray over me. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's like that with it's like that with a little extra spice on top. Right. I don't even have the parts. Yeah. I don't even have the parts. Like granted, I live in a little bit of a bubble. So I'm looking at it and I'm like, yeah, so many people talk about being intersex now. It's really just all my friends talk about being, you know, what intersex is and right. what, you know, talk about intersex issues. I I follow out of intersex activists and whatnot. I mean, it's it's doctors and then, you know, activists have really been on the front lines um throughout like history, you know, educating people, um, in the nineties, um, hermaphrodites with attitude was like a, was some, a newsletter that went out, you know, you know, now we've got interact, which I mentioned earlier, we have the intersex, intersex justice project, which is led by two intersex individuals of color. And it's a super great organization. And they recently had a major win in Chicago, at Lori Children's Hospital, they vowed to stop doing unnecessary medical intervention on intersex babies. And I believe it also happened in Boston as well. Basically, you know, activists on the ground have, have been able to kind of like push the needle forward in that. And, you know, it's like getting doctors to really pay attention because it, it's seems like a no brainer, but it's like, it's, 
it's interesting how much you really have to talk about it and really break it down to get people to kind of understand where you're coming from and like how much there isn't a need for like oftentimes how there's not necessarily a need for surgery um on an infant and you know uh, one thing uh, a lot of intersex activists want to point out is that we're we're not necessarily we're saying we're anti-surgery we're just saying it's not right to operate on children who have no say right. in the matter. You know, it's, 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 yeah. uh, it's giving children bodily autonomy yeah. um, to make those decisions when they're older. And, you know, there are, com- there's, you know, lots of complications with that. I was asked one time after I spoke on a panel, like this adorable old lady actually came up to me and she's like, wouldn't you be nervous to not look normal in like when you were a kid in school? And I was like, you know, that's honestly a tough question to answer for you. Because probably, but it's just like, I, I guess I, you know, to what I told her is like, I'd want, I'm, I'm advocating for a world where like a child can be exactly who they are and that's okay. And they know about it, you know, right. and they have the agent, uh, they have the agency and language to like be who they are. Yeah. Discuss it. Like I can yeah. imagine for, for parents, especially like pre internet or before this information was out there that they just had to trust what the doctors said about it because they're just wasn't anything out there and then you just trust like oh well if a doctor is saying that this is the best thing to do and it makes sense what they're saying sure let's do it yep that's exactly what's happening in the books that they were recommending like were dr john Mon- uh, money who's you yeah. know going to tell you to put your kid in a dress so it's like the the resources and the language has you know become a little bit more mainstream i would not say it's ma- quite mainstream but it's you know we're get we're 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 getting there you know what is the relationship between sex and gender for you because i i remember reading like a few years ago that someone got an intersex label on their new york id like someone was the first one i think it was like 2015 or 2016 and instead of male or female had intersex on the gender field of their driver's license but I haven't heard much about that since then, I don't think. Yeah, so basically you have to look at gender and sex and kind of like outline what that is. You know, gender um, gender refers to a person's like gender identity mm-hmm. um, and expression and sense of self. Um, and sex refers to a person's like chromosomes and anatomy. And like there's a lot of, there's like seven different ways you can identify a biological sex, you know. Yeah. Um, and then your, you know, your gender identity is sort of how you feel. But it seems like on forms, I feel like on uh, documents, I'm seeing more and more the two being conflated, though. Like a lot of times now I'll see stuff that says like male, female or non-binary. I'm like, well, hold on. I thought non-binary was more gender. And then male and female is like a are words we use to describe sex. Like, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. I mean, male and female is, I guess when you look at male and female, that's like, I I think on those, they're asking for your gender and they're not asking for your biological sex, I guess. Um, I get, I guess they probably on, on, on forms, they need to fix that. It's like, what's your gender identity rather than like, what's your sex? Right. Right. Um, Because, because if I was, if I was to answer, I mean, I always scribble, I always get really dramatic. <laughs> like things and I like scribble it out and I write intersex. That's actually like a new thing I do. Yes. Because I, um, I, I used to like sit there and contemplate and I'd always just check female for the ease of it. I think not that there's three gender as a concept to me is trash, but um, 
you know, if I, if we're going by societal, like if standards and if we are boxing it, you know, I think male, female and intersex is like our, our good biological sexes because being intersex, um, traditionally was viewed as like a, as, as, as a disorder, it's classified as a disorder or, you know, um, people pathologize intersex individuals. So it's often like, you know, you need to be fixed or there's something wrong with you. We need to fit you into these boxes, but being intersex is a net, like a very healthy, normal, naturally occurring, you know, form of a human. And so that, you know, and for a lot of people, yeah, for a lot of people. And so my biological sex is intersex, you know, like I, and, but like to, and then my parent, you know, if I have a conversation with my parents, I'll say like, oh no, I'm intersex. And that, but they'll be like, but you're like, oh, you know, you, you identify as female. And it's like, oh, really? no, I don't I identify as intersex. And like people perceive me as a female and like, I am a, you know, like the world sees me as female and I'm too tired to fight anyone on that. But like, <laughs> You know, yeah, sometimes you're just too tired. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, so like my pronouns are she, they, which is also kind of new. And it's like, that's just basically to be like, I, she is perceived by female, but like, I'm perceived as female, but like they, because I'm queer as fuck. Yeah. 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 Do you think there's like less pressure now for intersex people to conform to more of a gender binary now that being non-binary is something that's like so much more um, prevalent, let's say? Yeah, I think um, in some ways I'm sure it has to be, but I think also I'm speaking from a place of incredible privilege, you know, living in New York City, having supportive parents, access to adequate health care. Right. When we say it's prevalent, it's like in our queer bubble because we also yeah, live yeah, in yeah. New York and talk to mostly totally, queer people. Yeah. <laughs> so. Totally. Um, but I think I think it's important to acknowledge all of those things. Right. Um, because like, you know, it it is it's true. You know, I, I think there's definitely, I mean, the internet, the internet, thank God for the internet, because right. I, I feel like any argument I have where I'm like, I've been on in, like Instagram for way too long. It's like the internet and like that wealth of information gave me the like gift of language and the ability to find a community. And like, you know, it just, it helps. Um, because we were told that, you know, there's no one like us when we're, you know, when I was growing up there, you know, there, there's nobody else like me. I were, you know, I'm told, yeah. but like w- if I had the internet, I would have been able to, f- you know, find out that that's not the case. Yeah. And I mean, is there any, I, I don't know, like, uh, stigma if, if you're intersex and like around whether or not you decide like, well, I'm, you know, my, my sex is intersex, but my gender is like woman. Um, it, or is there like pressure to then be like non-conforming as an intersex person? Mm. Does that make sense what I'm saying? (laughs) Totally. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't think so. I think personally I have like, I found that I don't want to like live within the constraints of like a, of a system, that system being gender, um, of a system that like actively tries to erase me. Um, like, which I guess is like just society in general, but again, that's a little bit of a deep conversation. Um, but 
I think, you know, I, intersex, there's not like one, much like every individual in the world, there's not one, you know, way to be intersex. Right. Um, I know intersex people who identify as trans. I know intersex people who are super femme. I know intersex people who are super butch. Like I know, you know, I know intersex people who use she, her pronouns. I know intersex people use he, him pronouns are, who are non-binary, you know, there's just, um, and I think being, I mean, being intersex has made me, an, I think a, a, a pretty empathetic person and just kind of like, you know, when you, break down what gender means to you and how it plays into your life. I feel like it kind of breaks down a lot of like what you uh, thought about yourself and about life and your ideals. And I feel like it's sort of, I'm not saying all intersex people are like super great, nice people, but like, I just feel like it, like it makes you a little bit more, like more accepting of like, of what, of, you know, claiming your identity for yourself yeah. and like, and supporting that. So I feel like, there's not necessary long the, the the short of it is there's not I don't feel like there's much pressure um to conform because you know we've all gone through so much yeah um kind of get to where we are and I think there's a, a big understanding that like in a lot of the queer community that your identity is kind of fluid so like one day you might be feeling more femme and then the next you might not you know um the next you may feel like you know like a melted popsicle or something I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I don't often feel the pressure, I guess. <laughs> cool. That's good. Yeah. That's good to hear. You mentioned earlier, too, that, you know, one of the things that uh, your your parents had talked to you about or your doctor um, in terms of, like, okay, like, we have to have this conversation because you're probably going to ha- start having sex soon. And then uh, you mentioned that you really start talking about it when you began dating when do those conversations come into play when, when you're dating? Like at what point does it feel necessary to bring that up? Yeah. I mean, when I first like started dating, cause I, I never dated guys when I was waiting for my very mature college guy. I didn't <laughs> date anybody in high school. Um, and so when I got to college and started dating women, I guess, it, it like came it it because it was I, I sort of kept the same mindset that I had my whole life it was sort of like it's just a part of who I am it's not a bad thing it's not you know it's it's I don't really need to talk about it so it, I, it just like wasn't talked about and so and I didn't have the language to discuss it so it was just like you know I just, it just wasn't talked about and then as I got older and like I learned more about it. The medical care that I received when I was a kid was different than the medical care I started receiving as an adult, mm-hmm. which became very confusing. You know, the questions of like, when was the last time you menstruated and not knowing how to answer that question, you know, right, um, was really difficult. So like, as I was sort of forced to learn about it while keeping it on the back burner in my early 20s, um, you know, like I, I had to really start kind of digging in. And when I had my first serious partner. I sort of fumbled through the definition of it with her. And then she did some Googling and Googling, you know, in 2012, Googling intersex and like, or using keywords that I maybe gave and fumbled to her can can, can kind of give you some scary results. Um, especially back then when, you know, you're getting things like hermaphrodite and it's like person, you know, it's like, there's not positive, like affirming language about it. Yeah. And so she was like, 
you know, she was nervous about it. And I, I literally sat with my parents at 22 and outlined on like a piece of paper, how I was going to tell her. Um, and she was super supportive. Um, she was so supportive of it, which was, which was really great because she wasn't supportive on a lot of other things, but she was supportive on that, there you go. <laughs> um, which was good, which is good. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it was like, super, it was kind of like the first time I felt really affirmed. And then, um, dating after that, it, it, it didn't come up, you know, if it did, if it wasn't serious, it wouldn't really come up. And then, um, if it did come up, I was always really, really nervous. And then once I really, I saw a video with Pidge Pagonis in it, who's a really great intersex activist. And they, I like started to get the language for it. And mm. so I was able to describe it. And then it became, then it became a part, you know, kind of part of the spiel. It, it was like, you know, this is who I am. It was like, it was right. It was kind of right at the top. Oh, okay. And now I'm, yeah, now, um, now I'm like, if I, in a, in dating profiles, it's like intersex dyke, you know, it's like, that's, I, I've really, that is my, that is like what I identify as, is an intersex <laughs> That was dyke. my next question. Like, what was, what's your bio? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I feel like, I feel like, yeah, you know, being like learning and claiming that it's just, if it's, I feel so empowered by it now, you know, so it's kind of a journey. It's an incredibly active journey into like ridding myself of like the shame and whatnot that I was kind of like taught, um, growing up about it. But yeah, it's, it's, um, something I'm very open with now to everyone. Everyone kind of knows about it. And it, a lot of it has been like starting my own activism a little bit, like, you know, talking to people like you and, um, you know, just trying to be more vocal about it because there's not enough people talking about it. So. Yeah. I mean, when I think about it in terms of, dating it's hard for me to imagine at least in like the the queer community people having a problem with it but I imagine there are and that does happen but but it just doesn't seem like I'm like how how does that really well I'm I'm sure you're familiar with the term turf so oh yeah well, translate, yeah it translates to it translates to to being intersex you know what I mean? And so, like, so turfs go after intersex people too. Wait. Well, you know, it's it's just you're not if you're not like a woman. You know what I mean? Like you know, born a woman with like what? And so that's that's kind of why intersex. I feel like intersex people are sort of the trump card for any sort of of gender sex argument because you're just like hello. There's yeah. like a total variation of it. But like I am, you know, I would never debate a turf, but I, you know, <laughs> if I did debate a turf, I could like, like, you know, my, when I was born, I, my birth certificate says female, but it's like, it's just, it's, it's all of it's so arbitrary yeah. right. to be honest, but, but society needs these boxes because we're all con like, we're all controlled by it. I think everybody I've introduced like 10 different topic episodes we could have today, but another one is like <laughs> every, all issues can pretty much be traced back to like the patriarch, like patriarchal, um, like, you know, institutions and racism. You know what I mean? It's like, right. Everything is geared towards like white men and it, it and like, it's, it's nuanced, but like everything is kind of gendered and like unpacking that is, yeah. Like I said, another episode, but yeah. Is there anything that the like LGBTQIA community could be doing um, more of to be like better allies to intersex folks? 
Yes. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it's learning. It's, it's having conversations because I think, I think a lot of people like know, you know, LGBTQI, oh, I, you know, you're extending it to the I, which that's, what's one easy way to do it. Always extend your LGBTQ plus give, put the I in there. Um, that's one way I say people can like be a better ally. Um, even if you are queer, um, learning what it is actually like really learning what it is, because I think a lot of times when people hear intersex, I think they might think it's like trans or it's like, I mean, it's trans adjacent, but it's, it's, you know, it's not the same thing. And I think people kind of get confused. Yeah. Like you can be intersex and you can be trans, but just because you're intersex doesn't mean you're automatically trans. Yeah. I think it's, you know, asking people their pronouns, um, don't make interphobic jokes, which would be like, talking about someone's micro penis or like, mm. you know, making fun of someone's genitals for being too big, too small, X, Y, Z. It's just like everybody, it's, it's all variations, you know, um, people with, ex, you know, excess body hair, you know, yeah, ladies. It's like, yeah, absolutely. You know? <laughs> I, I have a laser and, and so, very close to me. <laughs> when I, when, you know, I like used to do a lot with my must, like I have a mustache and I used to like try really hard to like conceal it, get rid of it, whatever. It's like, no, it's like, this is my body makes this. Mm -hmm. And so this is like, um, I'm not like, I mean, obviously my body made my boobs, but, and I changed those, but, (laughs) um, I think my hormone, my hormone replacement therapy actually made those. Um, you know, I think talking about talking, talking about intersex, not leaving them out of the conversations, like including, including intersex people when you talk about LGBTQI plus issues, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, because I, I feel like so much of the conversation is about how how gender is a spectrum and what gets talked about less is how, um, like, biological sex is actually a spectrum and it's not just, like, two things. Yeah. yeah. I think everything yeah. is a spectrum. Right. Everything is a spectrum. Most things in life are definitely on a spectrum. For sure. And, and, you know, another thing that is, it's, it's, what's difficult is, you know, we've been talking for an hour, a little over an hour now. And it's like, we could, this conversation could last another two, three. And then we kind of, I feel like good that we, you guys know some stuff, but it's like, there's so much, the language around it is so medicalized. So it's like, it took me, it's, I'm still learning. I mean, you know, I, how many times I've stopped and restarted like a fra- you know, what I've been saying, because it's like, it's learning medical terms and like how a, a uterus is formed and what hormones they're responding to yeah. and how that like affects their, you know, uh, development in utero. And it's like, I don't, I don't know how to d- have those kinds of discussions. So it's like, I'm, you know, it's constantly learning to not pathologize, basically, you know, that intersex people are more than just like a medical, like a thing in a, in a textbook, mm-hmm. you know, on one page of a textbook. Right. Um, and that like each, you know, that there's just like every type of human on the planet intersex, pe- there's like all intersex people have such a diverse, you know, life experience, you know, it's, there's no two like intersex people that are the same, just like there's no two cisgender people that are the same. You know, I really love what you said earlier um, that I know you're quoting someone else, but about how just like everybody's mouth is different. Everybody's nose is different. And when you say it like that, it's just like so it's such an easy get that it just makes everything seem so much more like, well, yeah, duh. Like 
It, it's not yeah. like this different weird thing that's like an uh, um this rare anomaly, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's so simple. It's like really not hard. But yeah. like because of so many nuanced little things that just like add up, you know. Yeah. It gets complicated. I think that media and media representation and having more uh, stories and more fictional, like positive representations of intersex people would go such a long way, such a long way in helping people like understand and like normalizing. I guess we'll wrap this up now. Um, and really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today, Maria. Um, what would you say to any of our listeners out there who are struggling with their intersex identity? My advice is to take it slow. I've really like taken a lot of the pressure off of myself and to just kind of like, know, you know, we have a, a short life, but like kind of a long life. Yeah. And like, I'm the only one living my life and I need to figure out how that works best for me. Um, which this is advice for anyone, you know, right. this is advice for anyone. <laughs> and, and I think, I, you know, figuring out your identity, um, can feel constricting sometimes because you, you don't, you know, if you don't hit everything, um, in, in a certain box, it's like, am I that, you know, it's, it, it can leave you with a lot of questions. And I think, um, Find a community that feels right to you. Um, find resources that make you feel good, um, and just go with the go with the feelings that make you feel good. You know, it, it's it's about it's about what you want, and yeah, it's it's really is about what you want. It's it's about finding the confidence in in being yourself and the identities that you choose um, or that you kind of are thrust into at times, and. Um, making it work. Yeah. I don't know if awesome. that's, I don't know if that's the best advice. It's just kind of <laughs> taking your time, taking your time because it, it's, it'll, it kind of, sh everything kind of shakes itself out eventually. And, um, find your community, however big or small that is. It's, yeah. Online or yeah, online. it doesn't. And like, I think there's also, sometimes there's pressure to find community and it's like, I need to have a community and it needs to be this. Let go of the expectations that you need to fulfill a requirement or there's no script for your life. You're the one writing the script for your life. And so you have to do what feels right for that. Love it. And you have a, a lot of great video content uh, online where you're talking about your own experiences and then also talking with other uh, intersex people about their experiences as well. Is there um, any particular one that you would want to direct listeners to if they're interested in, in learning more about you or about being intersex? Sure. Yeah. I think, um, I think one of the help, a helpful video that I did was, um, for them, the, um, LGBTQI publication, um, from Condé Nast. Uh, we did a video there. Um, I also work there. Um, I still work at Condé Nast. I, and I do videos with them sometimes, but, um, we did a video that breaks down the definition and the history of the word intersex. Um, and I, and I host it. So I feel like that kind of, uh, breaks it down in a, in a concise way, gives a little bit of historical context, um, and talks about the community today. Great. We'll link to that in the show notes for anybody yeah. listening. Perfect. And I think, I think following intersex activists is the best way to stay involved, um, interact, 
is a really great organization. Um, intersect the Intersex Justice Project. Um, Safi and Pigeon are uh, lead that, and they're great. Um, Forintersex.org is another great resource um, that is curated by Interact, I believe. Um, and there's a TED Talk video um, that's not mine, but um, it's another great resource. That's kind of that's where I got the quote the quote about the different noses and the different eyes and lips. Um, and that is by my good friend Emily. And so I'll I'll, I'll send that link to you as well. Um, but that's a, another really great resource. Awesome. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for taking out with us today, Maria. This is great. Yeah. Anytime. This was super fun. I really appreciate the conversation and likewise. I appreciate you guys doing this episode and, and putting it out there. Yeah. Where can people find you online? I'm at Maria Treatise. Um, it's kind of a I'm sure it's spelled out in the title of this episode. Will be, uh, yes. But yeah. Maria at Maria Treatise on Instagram and Twitter. I don't tweet much, but, and I don't Instagram much, but I am there. (laughs) (laughs) Same. We'll give you a follow anyway. Uh, Thank you again so much. And we hope we cross paths with you in the future. All right. That was such a great conversation. And again, we have in our show notes a link to Maria's piece on them all about intersex and the history and the evolution of uh, how it's been treated both in the medical community and in the world at large. It's so interesting and so, so important that we're all educated about this. Absolutely. I already did immediately after the interview and... And I very much encourage everyone else to. And also want to see that movie about her and her sororities president. I can't stop thinking about it. (laughs) We'll call it the happiest pledge season. Hey. Hey. (laughs) Moving on. All right. Time for our listener question. What do you say? Here we go. I came out later in life at 32 after marrying my high school boyfriend and having two kids. I'm out now and living my best life. I've never had a one night stand. All my relationships have been months or years long. I'm a typical U-hauler and I've been with my current girlfriend for almost two years. After some COVID related quote unquote restructuring to our relationship call back to our Sam Ruddy episode I believe yep. Yep. <laughs> I'm exploring the idea of having some casual hookups my question to you is are one night stands worth it especially with all the complications with COVID and if so what are some tips to help a hopeless U-hauler not haul the U catch my drift <laughs> I do uh, drift caught uh <laughs> Yeah, that is so tricky. Um, If it weren't COVID, I would be so encouraging the one night stands right now. Yeah, but because of COVID, not right now. (laughs) Yeah, to this question. Um, Yeah, it's you have to not. uh, You have to have a FaceTime date. You have to have a socially distanced date. You have to make sure you're both, you know, tested, COVID free. You have to quarantine for a one night stand, I guess. So you have to, it's, is it a one night stand? <laughs> yeah. What is this restructuring deal and does it apply only during the pandemic? Because it's a little insane if it's like, okay, just for the rest of the pandemic, <laughs> yeah. we're in an open relationship and 
Yeah, like, if it were like, if that were an option, that's the one Allie would choose. Otherwise, severely monogamous. <laughs> <laughs> like, the only thing I would say is, like, if you're if you live alone if maybe the restructuring is around the fact that uh it's covid and you're in different places and can't really see each other and you're not like if you get infected with covid you're only really infecting yourself and you're good about quarantining other than like that hookup like there is a safe way i guess to be casual but if you have like roommates or or you live with a partner or somebody else that you could infect mm-hmm. then like I would strongly encourage you not to as somebody who uh what eight months later I still have symptoms of COVID you never know it affects everybody differently right unless you can kind of restructure your approach to quarantining and call it 14 day long foreplay I I don't know about <laughs> <laughs> one night stand <laughs> Right, right. Uh, wear wear a mask, and <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Oh, didn't we already say that scissoring is the uh, the safest way to have sex because your faces? Yeah, are six I was feet trying apart. to remember if we said that. Yeah, here or in private. <laughs> I say it all the time. I know she will not stop talking about scissoring. just walking down the streets of New York, letting everybody know you got a scissor. <laughs> Come on, Carolyn. We learned on the We're Having Gay Sex pod that it's cooler to say tripping. Never. I've never cared about being cool. I'm not going to start now. (laughs) Uh, So your other question, though, that I think we can, that's a little bit less complicated, or maybe not, are one night stands worth it? I'm going to say, for me, I've had one thing that I would truly call a one night stand, and it was okay, you know, it was fun, but as somebody who's You've like had a serial... One? Yeah. Um, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Wait, it, this is a good team for answering it. It's different perspectives. Yeah. I, I'm a serial monogamous, too, and for me, like, I've never loved super casual sex. Like, I don't necessarily enjoy it. Is there some type of a thrilled to like meeting someone and going home with them yes yes but for me it's like I'd much rather meet somebody uh have there be like some tension have that wondering like does she like me does she not like me you know that's mature of you that (laughs) gradual flirting and then like making a move like that's what I like and then and then there's like a payoff you know but like a out at the bar meet someone let's go home and then I never see them again like you know there's nothing wrong with that but just I know for me it's not is it a one night stand if you meet that person go home with them and then they become kind of a friends with benefits situation no. Is that still a one night stand? I don't think so. Oh. Just my curious. one night stand is like I didn't even get the person's last name okay. or number. That was I, just I mean had a I love name. I in a past life <laughs> was yeah. actually only capable of one night stands. I know. I would <laughs> somehow still be frustrated that no one wanted to date me. <laughs> <laughs> or just like with sleeping with someone immediately, I mean. Um but yeah. still plenty my fair share of um strangers that I couldn't name or contact if you yeah. asked me to. Um, but the question of like, are they worth it? Yeah. Like, 
if you're into it, like there's not much of a drawback as long as you're being safe about it. I don't see uh, a huge problem of being like, oh man, that wasn't worth it. Unless you think it's going to do damage to your relationship. But if, if the agreement is that you can have a one night stand and um, it sounds like, you know, you went from your high school sweetheart to this you uh, hauled relationship. Yeah. And it might be good to have those experiences just to check in and see how you actually feel about them. And then you can decide for yourself. Also, it it doesn't have to be one of two extremes when you're restructuring your relationship and opening it up to something more casual. It doesn't need to be a one night stand. Like you can still have like a casual fling with someone that's not a U-Haul relationship. But you're a lesbian, so you can't. <laughs> yeah. That, that's where it gets harder because like the the one night stand that I had was truly like that's for me the only way to not catch feelings I was like oh I can't have any way to track this person down like I need to not have her number or last name not be able and I tried I tried to find her on social media because that's just me and wanted to stalk this person and have a better idea of who who was this woman I had just slept with uh I don't want to reinforce stereotypes, but I guess that's, yeah, a big concern in this community. Yeah. But like, uh, other than that, like anybody that I've hooked up with for, for the most part, like I do kind of catch feelings. uh, And I think that even, I mean, even when I was like first starting to hook up with Cecilia, honestly, I didn't want to date anybody at the time. I had it in my mind that like this isn't going to be serious at all. I told myself like over and over, like you can't be in a relationship right now. Um, And part of why I started dating her was I thought like, oh, there's no way that this would work out because we're both getting a divorce and neither of us are in a place to be in a relationship. And look at us now. Fuck, you're right. We, you and (laughs) Cecilia got together around the time that Allie and I got together. And I just realized Allie and I were a one night stand. Like we were like (laughs) comedy acquaintances in the scene, but like, we had sex and then did not speak to each other at all for a full month until we were both at a comedy show and ran into each other. And then we went home together and have been together since. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she was about to move to New York and we're like, this isn't going to work. And I had just got out of a long relationship, my only relationship, and was like, never again. Yeah. So. Yeah. Damn it. And it's not like this for everybody, but but this listener in particular is saying that there's somebody who tends to catch feelings. And uh, so if you're like anything like me, I would say like, oh, a true one night stand, uh, you know, do it safely, but don't do anything that would keep you connected. Just you got to cut cut it loose. You can restructure right relationships, after. but not your feelings. Yes, feelings are a lot harder to restructure. Mm. You know, you're going to feel what you're going to feel. and yeah, don't budge. Yeah. Well, good luck. Please be safe. Yeah. <laughs> the numbers are too Please high. Please be safe oh. and scissor. Please. Right. <laughs> if you want more of this great content, you know, make sure that you are subscribed to us and you can follow us on social media at Diking Out on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter. We're putting out different content on all 
three, though Facebook, it's mostly the Patreon group at this point. Yeah, but and then there's the Patreon itself with a lot more content. I will be posting pictures of my hot mom on there. Yes. <laughs> yes, Get please. in on it. <laughs> and you can follow us on a TikTok at Diking Out Pod, where I've been uh, bullying Melody into making another TikTok to, to redeem herself. Uh, yeah, especially if after we got some comments about how I'm not a good dancer. Okay? Not that you're not a good dancer. It's that I'm the better one. Yeah. And that, I can't <laughs> Prove them wrong. I will. I will. Prove them wrong, Melody. Uh, and then you can follow me personally at TGI Carolyn on Twitter, on Instagram. And you can follow me at Melody Kamali on, I guess, Twitter, definitely Instagram, perhaps TikTok. Four whole videos now on there. Thank you so much for diking out with us this week. And see you next Tuesday. See you next Tuesday. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.